Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the podcast where we read Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear page by page. This is page 561. We'll lie on the ground for a hundred years and no one will come close to stumbling on our bones. I turned where I stood, looking at the rise and fall of the land, the worn rocks, the endless ranks of trees. I tried not to think about how the mayor had sent me here, like moving a stone on a tack board. He had sent me to a hole in the map, a place where no one would ever find my bones. And that's the page and the chapter. I'm Jordana. I'm Jeremy. And I'm Nick. And this reinforces the idea that the mayor did this just to get rid of Quoth. It certainly feels that way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it really does feel like, the, like, you know, who's to say if he intended Quoth to survive? And we talked about this, like, and even Quoth talks about it at one point. It's win-win for the mayor. He can just disappear this guy with complete plausible deniability by sending him off into the Eld. Basically unprepared and understaffed. Like, this is another kind of question mark I have about this. Like, was the mayor... Is the mayor prepared to burn this team? It sounds like this is a useful team for him. Like he's sent them off on other things in the past. Uh, maybe he doesn't care, right? But like, it seems to me like if the the task is to find and capture the bandits, they're not exactly like a battalion. The way that states apply force is with overwhelming force. You don't send like two or three guys to take apart you know, to, to make arrests, you send a, a massive squad of police, you send soldiers. I, so I, I feel like if the mayor really intended Quoth and this team to take out the bandits, as they end up doing, he would have sent more men. I know, this I feels mean, like an espionage crew to me. But but like, that's the point, because he's been trying to get rid of these bandits for a while now, and his overwhelming force has failed to find them. So he's trying a different tactic of sending a small specialized squadron. Like that's like that's the whole conversation he had with Quoth. Like my my normal the normal things that I would do to get rid of bandits are not working for me. I have to try something different. You're a smart guy. Lead this team, this like specialized crew to do this job for me. Like that's the point. I don't that's, think that, okay. That's a good point. The only thing is that like I don't feel like the crew, aside from maybe Martin, are that specialized. Like Dayton and Hespi are really just a couple of thugs, like bouncer type thugs. Like they don't really seem like they're crack commandos, right? But these people have like done useful work for him before. He's like, this is my usual like my problem solving squad, uh, and I'm gonna hire some extra muscle in the form of an eight M mercenary and a wizard. So you'll be fine. Right. Like that's that's the approach he's taking. I think that I think that it's probably true that the mayor considers these people expendable. You know, like if they all die in the forest, he'll probably go, well, damn, that didn't work either. Now, what do I do? But I don't think he's going to shed any tears for them. But I, I don't really think that he's he's sending them off with the express hope that they will all die. I think he wants these bandits taken care of. And if. Quoth did die in the course of this expedition, then the mayor would be able to look on the sunny side and go, well, now I don't have to give him a lordship, you know? So I think in that sense, it's a win-win. But I don't think he's sending Quoth out there with the hope that he'll die. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I don't think that the mayor is explicitly sending him there to die. I just think that it's a it's a convenient use of Quoth 
in that either way it's good for the mayor. Fair enough. And I think that I, I get the feeling that like maybe this is common practice for the mayor. Because I'm sure there have been other people who have helped the mayor in in maybe not this obviously not the same way, but like in very useful ways who he's who he doesn't want to give a lordship to, who he's then like, oh, what do I do with you? Like that probably like I feel like that would happen to someone with a powerful place in the world, like a reasonable amount of times. So like he's probably done this to someone before. Yeah, maybe. I mean, surely the mayor has multiple agents out and about doing various things. Maybe there's even other agents out in the Eld searching for the bandits. Yep, certainly possible. Certainly, if I was running this as a D&D game, I would have the PCs encounter another party of, of PCs, a rival group of adventurers who are after the same goal and have them race to it in order to up the tension. Perhaps setting up a, uh, a frenemy situation where there is a, a recurring rival that is always one step ahead of them. It feels like you're referencing something specific. No, just, you know, it's a trope, I guess, but it's what I would try to do if I was running this as a D&D game. Oh. I mean, that would be yeah. great. Maybe we should have a D&D game. <laughs> I've actually been coming up with a... I've, I've been musing for, on a setting that I think is kind of fun. So uh, maybe I'll, I'll pitch it to you a little bit later. Say, I would always... Uh, be up for revisiting the lovely world of uh, Shadowrun. <laughs> uh, it's your turn to run Shadowrun. No, Jordana. you have to finish the story first. That massive face source book I got you as a present isn't going to yeah, no, I plumb its own depths. I will. Yeah. I'll be happy to do something with it, but you have to finish like the main plot of 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 like what that crew is doing first. It kind of did finish. I don't know. Did I'm, it? Okay. I, 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 we're getting way off topic here. But I'm I'm really un. Actually, I think this is this bear is talking about. I love the Shadowrun setting. It's one of my favorite settings in all of. Uh, but you're done of, with that like, character set. Paper RPG. No, it's just really hard for me to get excited about the setting now because it's no longer quite so fantastical. Like obviously the the magic and stuff is, but like all the the grim cyberpunk stuff and the extreme corporate exploitation is really like. Too table real? stakes now in in the real world yeah it is too real so yeah. it's like not fun escapism or like satire to play in a world where uh dragons have ceased to simply lie on their piles of gold but have instead become corporate ceos extracting wealth in ways that they never could back when they were simply terrorizing dwarven mountain towns so what you're saying is while Shadowrun is entertaining it needs more magic which is why i have the magic book but well, yes, exactly. That's one hundred percent. I would definitely run. I would be happy to play Shadowrun if it was like a bit more magical. And also, like I'm kind of, I'm a little burnt out on on DMing Shadowrun. Anyway, we can. Uh, we'll discuss more later. <laughs> I, yeah, we'll discuss this offline. We are at the end of a chapter, so I yes. think there's something we usually. I was going to say, is any more notes before I do my thing? No, good, excellent. Uh, this is the end of a chapter. That chapter is the edge of the map, obviously referring to how they are on the inside edge of the map and in essentially what is a hole in it. And that, that is a dangerous and interesting place to be. Yes, and I would posit, not, it's not a double meaning, but I would posit again that this is uh, starting to remind us that we are in uncharted territory, um, very literally. And I think that we're he's, he's priming the the idea that we are in a strange new world so that the transition into Fae doesn't come as a shock. Yeah, I also feel like maybe 
mildly crackpot theory-ish, but maybe this title is here to tell us that we're at, like, we're close to the the end of the, like, ho-hum part, and we're gonna get into the action-y stuff soon. Like, it's, there's, it's, we're at the edge of what will become a transition into a more action-based uh, set of stories in the next couple of chapters, right? Or, or because there's an interlude next, and it's, like, the edge of, you know? Kind of. I, I think this is, this is continuing the process of zooming out a little bit, uh, because it, it puts us in mind the, the image of a map in our heads, which is to me very much like an act of zooming out. Then we have the interlude and then we have the story about Jax. So we are kind of leaving behind the present and we're going into a series of relatively unconnected locales. There you go. I feel like my mildly crackpotted idea went somewhere. So yes, good. Excellent. We have a letter today from Manuel who writes on pages 542 and 543. Greetings, page mongers. I am writing because I believe there is another level of nuance in the interplay between Hespi and Dayton during story time. This is not a groundbreaking or momentous discovery by any means, but I thought it was interesting. On 542, Dayton gets flustered as he is about to use what we have all come to assume is some kind of crude gesture to describe death by snoo-snoo to Tempe. He looks at Hespi, I think out of embarrassment, rooted in his attraction to her, but she, just as clueless about Dayden's feelings for her as Dayden is about her feelings for him, interprets that look as a simple plea for help instead. Side note, I hope the conjunction at the beginning of the previous sentence has Jeremy's teeth grinding. (laughs) Anyway, Hespi goes on to bail Dayden out with a laugh and an artful bit of pantomime. Dayden continues the story on page 543, for some reason now speaking with an outworld accent that I could not quite place. It brought to mind an image of a 1920s Pennsylvania Dutch coal miner suffering from black lung and quite possibly concussed, but I admit that he could have recently suffered a throat injury instead. He launches into a growling description of a naked Fulurian. In my head, it has a much different presentation. But Dayden is in full locker room mode here. He's hamming it up, really chewing every word and making all the wink-wink, nudge-nudge gestures that type of bro makes. I think Dayden was feeling more confident than he should have because of how Hespi responded to his embarrassed glance earlier. He interpreted it as a green light for the kind of thing he had been about to gesture into Tempe and continued as though Hespi would be into it. This is what I think is the cause of Hespi's growing anger. Even if she thinks Dayden is not into her, his manner suggests that he doesn't even see her as anything other than one of the guys. Sorry, this email is long-winded, full of Jeremy baiting and quite possibly of no importance at all. That said, I like to think that Patrick Rothfuss is showing all of us this without telling any of it. Until next time, signed Manuel. That is a very good analysis of Dayden and also, I think, of the interplay between him and Hespi. Um, I think that, yeah, it, they're, they're both a lot more sophisticated than the text needs them to be. There's a lot going on in the sort of iceberg uh, of them, and I think that is uh, very good writing. I think that you as an author should understand the motivations of your side characters and the thoughts of your side characters, even if the the narrator doesn't have uh, isn't privy to them. And it's nice for us as an audience to be able to be like we're, we're given just enough information to know that there's something more going on, but not enough information to know exactly what it is. So it kind of lets us imagine, which is nice. It's just enough information to know that there's more under the, underneath the surface than than we're totally aware of did that make sense yeah okay i just feel like you guys got really quiet <laughs> for what it's worth uh, manuel i think this is a 
a very cogent analysis, and uh, I I have I find nothing there to object to. Even all the Jeremy baiting. I, I I guess I'm not seeing what the baiting is supposed to be. He's a difficult target, Manuel. You really have to get surgical when you're trying to get Jeremy a reaction out of Jeremy. I don't feel particularly baited. I suppose. I guess we'll just have to try harder. <laughs> Maybe I'm just feeling very sanguine today. Let's hope I'm feeling sanguine tomorrow on another page. Oh. The. The. Wind. Wind. Uh, Damn it. Uh,